For companies in the outdoor industry, day-to-day operations that protect and preserve the environment naturally make good sense. So-called green business practices are meant to be sustainable, using a minimum amount of energy and mostly renewable resources to create the products and services that drive our economy. And for Andrew Winston, it's become abundantly clear that despite any political or social ideology that espouses the virtues of capitalism above all else, green technology in commercial manufacturing and production is the best way for businesses of every variety to assure their long-term success, profitability, and prosperity. Having begun his career as a traditional business consultant, Winston says he started taking a closer look into how business and the environment might work together. So I went back to school for an environmental management degree and decided I wanted to marry business and environment and figure out a way to combine my business background with just an interest and passion about resource use, about what the foundations of business really are, which is stuff and material and how we are using too much of it. You know, so it came from a place of, I think, very, you know, practicality and profitability almost, more so even than, you know, traditional, quote, tree-hugging. You know, it was just about business can't survive like this, and that means our society can't. The author of two books, Green to Gold and Green Recovery, Andrew Winston was the keynote speaker at the biennial breakfast meeting of the Outdoor Industry Association at the Outdoor Retailer Winter Market in Salt Lake City, Utah. There he shared with an audience of true believers his view on the importance of sustainability in business and why in the long run, really, there is no alternative. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. things that I find fascinating about your conversation is that you talk about issues, particularly issues that you describe as TINA issues, mm-hmm. and that stands for there is no alternative. Right. What are a few examples of these TINA issues, and what do they mean to reducing sustainability costs? TINA I'm using in the really sort of broadest sense that dealing with climate change, dealing with biodiversity loss, dealing with waste, there is no alternative. We don't really have a choice anymore for a lot of reasons, and, and you know the forces driving that include just increased resource cost and reduced resource availability as the number of people on the planet who are getting richer grows. And there's just not enough stuff. I mean, that's sort of the obvious one. But there's, you know, there's also transparency, the technology-driven demand for knowing what's in everything. And so this just opens up companies, and they have to start talking about what they're doing, which means they, they actually have to change what they're doing. You can't, you can't be transparent about a process that you don't want to be transparent about. So it means you start changing how you make products, what's in it, who made it, where was it made, where they paid a living wage. I mean, these things start being open to the world. So there is no choice. You, don't, you, know, you can't compete in a world where your customers, and especially you know, big business customers, won't put your product on the shelf if they don't have the data, you know, if they don't know how it was made. And you, you referred to certain technologies that allow consumers to very quickly and very easily determine how much of an impact these particular products have. But you also said that um, we're at a point right now where green will always be small. 
because people aren't prepared to pay for something that is just green. If that's the case, at what point do we shift our thinking to such a way that we will go to a sustainable product as opposed to something that's just green? Well, let me, let me clarify that. What I said was um, the number of people who will pay more just for green will remain small. And that's partly out of just ability to. Not everybody can afford to buy an organic food or a more expensive car if it has the hybrid or electric engine. So there has to be a more complete value story told by products, and that might mean that we develop products that don't create trade-offs, that don't cost more. That's what you see companies starting to do. What is becoming a vast majority of people are ones who do want it all, that are conflicted about it, that care about where their products came from and who made them, and want, for the same price and quality, the greener, more sustainable options. So that is growing to nearly everybody. So that is another one of those Tina things. You can't not play in, in this arena if you're a company putting out a product or service because everybody's going to be looking for those dimensions. And, and it's a tiebreaker in so many ways. So I think the difference in green and sustainable is sort of a semantic one in a lot of ways. You know, I think sustainable encompasses probably a little bit more social issues, labor, than what people usually mean by green. But people use them sort of interchangeably a lot of the time. And I think that some people in the business community shy away from green because it sounds like it's expensive. It sounds like it's irrelevant to their bottom line. But you make the point that green is actually good business. Exactly how do we as business people determine that green makes good sense from a production standpoint and also from a retail sales standpoint? Well, I mean, look, at its core, the most simplistic view, green is about doing more with less. Uh, you know, as one CEO said to me, without getting into climate change or taking a stand on it, he said, isn't it better to produce less carbon than more? It just costs less. I mean, you know, anything that isn't used in a product, anything that's pollution is waste. That's expense. This is really basic stuff in a lot of ways. So getting lean to save money and save it quickly, things like, I mean, we're discovering the inefficiencies in our system, in our buildings, in our distribution are vast, and we're finding massive savings, very quick payback. So that's just straight business value. That's not even including all the kind of softer intangible value that does matter to the value of business, employee loyalty, customer loyalty, walking the talk, doing the right thing, these things that you know attract, especially the next generation of workers and consumers, and enable you to tell a story about where your products have come from. So it's good business because it's getting incredibly expensive to not do this. I think that's become very clear to companies. And, and again, going back to just, just resource prices, just the inputs. As I mentioned in my talk, you know, Coca-Cola, it spent $800 million more last year on corn for their products because the cost of everything is basically going up, fundamentally going up. So if you don't figure out a way to do things with far less stuff, you're just going to get priced out. You're gonna, it's going to be too expensive for you to operate. You describe the importance of companies becoming lean, smart, creative, and engaged. Right. And through the, the course of all that, I mean, you basically are exercising just good business practices. It sounds to me like you're pretty optimistic with some degree of recovery. Is that accurate in my assumption? Optimism is a tough one. I, I, I made that my New Year's resolution this year was going to be op- to be optimistic. I think you need to be optimistic in the longer run. I think the short run is harder. I mean, we're, we're heading in the wrong direction on most metrics. But you don't really hear a large company in the world anymore completely mo- dismissing sustainability because, again, you know, they're seeing their input prices rise. They're seeing the questions from their customers, from their employees. There is no alternative, right? This, there's no choice. The number of companies that I think see how deep the change needs to be or how, how fast things are going to change, I think that number is still very small. So I'm optimistic in the long run, yes, that we're, we're going to get this and we're going to get it right. And the world's moving to a green technology. I mean, the, the electric grid will be mostly renewable based at some point. It's a matter of how fast, you know. The economics for that will win out. 
and it will be cheaper fundamentally. It already is getting cheaper in many areas to use solar or use wind or do these kind of things. So that's going to be the cheaper option. It's just a matter of is it fast enough to stave off some of the worst problems we may face. You started your conversation with the issues of politicizing the green economy and green issues. This is a question that just occurs to me, but I'm curious to know if if you can speak to this with regard to the production of fossil fuels and having fossil fuels be the core, if not the basis, of our entire economy. Is it possible to make a shift to a more green-based, sustainable system and forego our petroleum-based system in a a quick and easy manner? Well, well, like I said, I think we will get there. The economics are already starting to win out because, and again, I'm fairly simplistic about economics on things like this. Renewable energy has zero variable cost, meaning once you've got it up on your house, on your building, got the wind farm up, it doesn't cost anything to get fuel. That's not true of fossil fuels. You have to go dig it out. You have to mine it. You have to refine it. Over time, zero cost will win. Um, there's upfront cost. There's technology. We have to bring down the cost as we get to scale. But that's happening very, very quickly. The cost of solar is you know, down two-thirds or so in the last four or five years. I mean, it is coming down very quickly. The quick and easy part is where the political stuff comes in. I mean, the industries that are still you know, fossil fuel based, the industries that are producing those, they have a lot of power and they're sitting on a lot of assets. There's also two different questions here. There's uh, the electric grid and there's mobile sources, you know, cars. And those are two very different conversations. You know, coal is, is the issue on, on the grid and oil is the issue on mobile sources. They have very different um, challenges and economic models and, and reasons for moving away from them at whatever pace. I think we'll move away from coal fairly quickly. Natural gas is turning into a pretty viable and good solution as an interim fuel, and then we'll get to mostly renewables on the grid. It's going to take some time, but we're going, we're going that way. And there's countries like Germany that have said we're going to be 100% renewable, and they're going there fast. You say that the economics will, will win out. Yeah. At the end of the day, what can we most look forward to in this most successful paradigm? It's an interesting question because I think what we often – do, we forget to do in sustainability discussions is paint the picture of a better world. It's not, you know, it's easy to get into the doom and gloom and say, if we don't do this, you know, we're going to have all these huge problems, quality of life's going to drop. But to remind people that every time we've cleaned the air, you know, that for example, that's been sort of the clearest kind of set of regulations around the world for the last 40 years, people get healthier. There's fewer people dying of asthma and coughing. And we sort of forget, we take for granted almost like how much healthier we are when we clean the environment, when we produce things using uh, methods that are much cleaner that there's a, there's a healthier, better life ahead of us that is longer lasting, that is easier to live, that is cheaper. And this is the part that no one, you know, that's harder to convince people of that is actually cheaper. You know, I have now solar panels on my house. They will take a while to pay off and then they will pay off for many, many years and they, I will get energy for free you know, every day that it's sunny. That's cheaper. That's a better, you know, more inex- inexpensive way of living. So I think we don't often paint the picture of how much better our life will be in the future in a cleaner, more stable, not reliant on fuels from dangerous parts of the world kind of way. That's a better life. Andrew Winston is an international authority on sustainable business practices. You can learn more about his work in finding the gold in green online at andrewwinston.com. For the Joy Chip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by Jake Shimobukuro. The Joy Chip Project is made possible with the support of sponsor Patagonia. Check out their latest conservation and new media initiatives on their blog, thecleanestline.com. Additional support is also provided by the outdoor retailer Winter Market. 
Discover new technologies, products, and services for your next great adventure, all under one big tent. Visit OutdoorRetailer.com. Thanks for listening, but you know, I want to hear from you. So please, drop me a note with your questions, comments, and criticisms to info at joytripproject.com. Until next time, take care. Thank you.